Thank you for joining our podcast, Clear Your Messages. I'm Wendy Perlin. My co-host, Tanya Heller, and I have the honor of interviewing compelling guests to discuss topics related to effective communication and leadership. Today, I'm thrilled to be speaking to Daniel Maseka. Daniel is a certified financial planner who is a native of Maryland, graduating with a degree in finance from the University of Maryland. He is the co-founder of Craftwork Capital, a registered investment advisory firm focusing on personal financial planning and investment management. He's also the co-founder of Crooked Crab Brewing Company, based out of Odington, Maryland, and co-host of Check Your Balances podcast, a weekly podcast on personal finance. Thank you, Daniel, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you because when I look at your resume and I look at all the information that I have about you, what I see is that you are not afraid to take risks. Yeah, I think that's true. Or I just say yes to a lot of things. Either way, either way that works. What prompted you to take those risks or to say yes? Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly think a lot of it is just being in the right place at the right time and surrounding myself with people who you know, I trust and respect. And when ideas bubble up from folks who you have that kind of relationship with, it's just natural for you to want to be a part of that. Um, so I think that's really what got me to where I am. So the brewery was a product of me being around two of my college friends. We spent four years at University of Maryland together, having fun, playing golf, and when we decided that our lifelong vision of retirement would be serving beer to people in a brewery that we owned, you know, we thought, well, why wait and do that later when we can do that now? So we really just naturally worked our way towards that. And again, for the financial planning firm, I'd worked alongside my my colleague and partner, Ross, at a, a previous firm we'd worked at together for six or seven years sitting side by side. And when we thought that this was something we wanted to do, just being together and making that decision, you know, as a united front made it so much easier. That's really wonderful to be able to take an idea and move it forward. Yeah. And, you know, being young helps, like being able to take risks early gives you more time to recover if if those risks didn't pan out in your favor. Um, but, you know, I'm very pleased that I had those opportunities and and decided to say yes. I love the story of how you decided to take something you decided you thought about doing when you were older, but saying, hey, I, why wait and do it now? I think that's a, a great idea and a great message to everybody. Yeah. And, and honestly, when that came up, I don't think any of us thought we were actually going to do it now, uh, but we thought we would go through the exercise in our minds of what it would look like. And as we planned, we kind of convinced ourselves that this was something that was realistic and feasible. And then it snowballed to the point where you couldn't stop the ball from rolling. And and now we have a brewery that's over five years old. Do you think your skills as a financial planner were, I'm assuming, very helpful in trying to plan out starting a brewery? Yeah, I think it helped me understand areas to dig into and places where we should be more careful than others, especially with financing a project of the size of the brewery, which is a bigger undertaking than at least any of us had taken to that point. And then my skills as a financial planner complemented the skills of my partners, one who is kind of a marketing and project manager and the other who also had project management experience, but was really the the technician on the brewing side. 
So just having that team was really beneficial. So when I, when people got excited and I could be like, well, wait a second, you know, have we thought about this or that? Um, you know, I think it really helped set us up for success. What was surprising to you when you opened the brewery? I think I was, so I was surprised that people supported us from the get-go. You know, we've been very fortunate in a lot of regards that we have a community who has rushed to to show love to our brewery. We opened in a town where there wasn't a lot going on. So I think they've kind of claimed us as their own. Crooked Crab is now synonymous with Odenton in, in, many, in many regards. Um, so that's been really nice. Uh, I think when we were planning the brewery, we thought we would have to do a lot more like wholesale production focused stuff where we were sending beer out. Uh, but what's really happened is we're keeping a lot of beer in-house because people are coming to see us. The hardest part has been becoming hands-off with the brewery. So when we opened, it was me and my partners, my mom, my wife, my dad, my grandparents behind bar doing whatever we needed to do to keep the thing rolling. But very quickly, we hired a team of people who are just very good and very professional. And then learning that I need to stay out of their way was very important to the point where now when I come to the brewery, if someone asks me for something, I almost don't know how to help them. Like I'm a liability there rather than a value. Um, transitioning from me being the thing that was keeping it running to it running in spite of me being there was a, was a very tricky thing to go through. That definitely shows a good leader though, to be able to step back and let others take over so that you can lead the organization or lead the brewery in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think a leader is ever the person who has the most information or the best answers. The leader is really just the person who needs to make the decision. So understanding where you have skills and where you don't have skills is very important, at least from my perspective, uh, as far as leadership goes. And what was the biggest mistake that you made with opening up the brewery? Um, I don't think it's funny, but we like to say that each of us had a five-figure mistake in the opening process. So, you know, picking the right partners, for example, uh, is so important early on, whether that be architects, engineers, uh, general contractors. Um, if I were to say the biggest mistake was probably just being cheap, like trying to do things ourselves, where really, had we spent the money up front, we would have saved ourselves pain later. So thinking of where you want things to be in the future and really committing to it rather than trying to get patchwork solutions in place. Thankfully, it was nothing bad, but like, you know, we did the floors ourselves. It wasn't a great floor job. Like none of us had done that before. Right. Uh, our, our demo work wasn't up to snuff for, you know, for at least the contractors who came in after us. Uh, but my partner says buy once, cry once. And I think there's there's a lot of truth to that. So really important seeing what the vision is by looking ahead in the in the future versus really just looking at the short term gain, look at the long term gain. Yeah, to believe in yourself enough that you that it's worth doing right if it's worth doing at all. Excellent. And then I have a question for you. So you also have a podcast too, in addition yes. to that. And what prompted you to start a podcast? I know what prompted us to start our podcast, but what prompted you? So my my partner at Craftwork Capital, Ross and I came from a company called The Motley Fool, which had weekly podcasts in place. And we just loved that format as a way to get information directly to people who are looking to better themselves in whatever field it may be. But for us, it's personal finance. So 
you know, it's a free way to get useful and helpful information. Hopefully it's entertaining to some people who are listening. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then for people who work with us, it's also a way to hear our voices routinely and get a sense of what we're thinking about, like in very real time, almost. What do you think's challenging uh, when you're on a podcast or you're, you're creating a podcast about communication? Ooh. So communication is everything, right? That's like, it's like science is everywhere. Communication is everything and everywhere too. So it's probably hard to convey in an audio discipline, like everything there is to know about communication, which is also visual, tactile, all those different things. Um, So I'm sure that's very hard, but it's also a good opportunity because if you're putting out a regular podcast, you need to fill a lot of time with content, which has been our challenge too. doing a personal finance podcast. Every week we need to come up with something and that becomes very hard because the discipline is, you know, wide, but narrow if you're putting out hundreds of episodes. Right. And I also think on a, creating a podcast is because you don't have the visual and you don't necessarily always have the context is that you really have to carry the entire podcast based on your story that you're delivering. Yeah. Having a good story is really important. And some weeks we end up with a great story and some weeks we don't, but I think the goal is to leave something memorable. Um, there's a a blogger and thinker, Morgan Housel, who works a lot in the personal finance space, who I love. And just today, he types out like little thoughts a lot of times. And one of the things he said was he remembers like almost every good story from when he was in school, but he doesn't remember any of the formulas that he spent time memorizing for tests. So stories are very powerful. I would agree. I think people always remember the story that you're creating for them because it creates an image and it can associate the topic with that person. Yeah. And stories trigger emotion and a formula. Maybe some people get excited. I do not get excited about formulas. I would agree with you there. Yeah. I like to hear a good story always. So let me ask you a story. I want to hear more about, uh, you know, I know you said that the community adopted you in Odenton, Maryland. Do you have a story about that? Um, Sure. Well, so I moved into the community after we opened the brewery because I was spending so much time here. So we lived in Montgomery County, Maryland, ended up moving to Anne Arundel County because, like I said, we were behind bar a lot and doing a lot of the things at the brewery. So being closer was was valuable. So, you know, even to this day, the people who were there on our opening day remember everything about that event. So I'll walk in and people will grab me and show pictures of them with me the day that we opened, even though it's five years later. The other day I was sitting at the bar, just not being helpful to anyone, just hanging out, having a pizza and a beer. And a guy came and sat next to me. He's like, you don't remember me, do you? And I remembered his face, but he was there when we opened and had lived in the area for a couple of years and then moved to Louisiana for three years. I didn't realize he had been gone for three years, but then came back to retire. Um, there's a big military community near the brewery. And he said, you come up in my household a lot because he has a dog. And every time he needs to apply for insurance, they want to know about his dog, which is traditionally an aggressive breed. And he says, and I send them a picture of your daughter who must've been one year old laying down with my dog at the brewery to show them that this dog is, is not aggressive and mean. 
so he pulled up the picture and showed me. So it's just building that kind of connection with people who make the brewery a hub for just their social lives is really, really cool. That's a wonderful story. And I like how you talk about the connection because making that connection is so important with anyone, especially in the brewery, but also when you're talking about a pivot a little bit to personal finances, people are, you know, very concerned about their personal finances and really want to make a connection with the person that's advising them on their personal finances. Yeah. When people ask me what kind of thing they should be looking for in an advisor, in introductory calls, I feel like people often turn the table. What kind of questions should I ask? Should I be asking as I'm looking for someone? You know, I think one of the things I say is there are a lot of very competent financial planners out there. And I think one of the most important things is that you find someone you like, because ultimately when that person gives you advice, you need to want to listen to them because if you don't want to listen, the advice could be the greatest in the world, but if you don't follow it, it doesn't matter. So finding someone whose communication styles you mesh with, uh, is important. I found that I will sometimes struggle with a client because we just have such different ways of communicating that as many times as I try, I can't get some point across to them in the way that I want to, because we haven't found that common language yet. Like engineers in particular tend to think a very specific way where they want like models and spreadsheets. I actually tend to do pretty well with that. And then some people just can't relate to that and they need a totally different like, visual way of um of connecting where when we were meeting in person now everything's virtual i actually used to take a notepad and draw pictures of concepts and i thought that was very nice i haven't become very good at doing that through zoom or google meet or anything yet but i probably need to work on that yeah you might want to be able to get a whiteboard up there so you could draw some pictures yeah exactly <laughs> thank you so much so at this point in the interview, this is where we ask uh, rapid fire questions of our guests. So I'm going to start with what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, usually when I'm asked that question, what comes to mind is my dad who always told me don't do anything stupid, which I think is very good advice. Um, the other thing more recently that I've been quoting, which is attributable to multiple people, is don't ask $3 questions when $30,000 questions are all that matter. So like, don't focus on the small things and ignore the big things. When the small things really don't matter, the big things determine everything. Excellent advice. What's the worst advice you've ever received? I had to think a lot about this one, but a colleague back in the day once told me that I should take on a lot of debt as motivation to do better in business. He's like, you need a, a car loan or something. Cause at the time I didn't have any expenses. Uh, that's not great advice. That is not good advice to tell someone to get into debt. Yes. Especially if they're not able to get out of debt. Absolutely. Even because sometimes it's not just motivation. It could be circumstance, situation, health related. That would not be good advice. I would agree. What do you feel best prepared you for all of your roles that you have right now? Because in addition to this, you are a husband, a dad, a son, a grandson, and, and in addition to all of these um, businesses that you have. Always being willing to do things. So my whole life, I found things to keep busy with, whether that be a passion or needing work or an income. So, you know, I can't think of a time where I've just been sitting still. So I think just finding ways to be productive, whether that be for income or pleasure is, 
is a good way to prepare for anything down the road. Got it. So are you going to open a second brewery? I hope not. Got it. What would you change about your journey if you could? I don't think I'd change anything. You know, I, I think everything that has gotten me here has been for a reason and I'm, I'm happy with where I am. Good. Is there something that you want to do next? Ooh, uh, no, <laughs> I'd like to continue doing what I'm doing for a very long time and hopefully not find a ton, you know, just find more time to invest in, in personal and family things is always great and hopefully okay. keep all the good things professionally going into the future. Got it. What's something that most people don't know about you? Very recently, I have become very into the Civil War. Um, so that's my new thing is I will go to any battlefield and read everything I can about the Civil War, which shockingly, I learned very little about in school, except for the basics. What's the most interesting battlefield that you visited? So I've only started going to battlefields recently, but a couple of weeks ago, I visited um, the Wilderness Battlefield in Virginia, which took place mm-hmm. in a very wooded area. So we took a hike through some of those battlefields and just got to feel how closed in everyone felt at that time. And then it poured it poured rain on us while we were hiking, which added some some excitement to the journey. Absolutely. What book, show, or movie is your guilty pleasure or favorite right now? I'm going to give two Civil War books, which I read this year, which I love. Okay. One is called Confederates in the Attic, which documents a road trip that someone took through basically every significant Civil War site and just his experience meeting people along the way. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend it by Tony Horowitz. Uh, April 1865 by Jay Winnick, another great Civil War book. A guilty pleasure movie would be The Blues Brothers, which has been an all-time favorite of mine. Also based in Chicago. Yes, based in Chicago with some very famous people in it, other than Dan Aykroyd and um, John Belushi. Belushi. Yeah. Yeah. I believe Aretha Franklin was in the movie, too. Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles. I mean, the list goes on. James Brown. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I haven't seen the movie in a long time. I'll have to watch it. Yeah, it's worth a revisit. Yeah, yeah. There's There's nothing better than a classic Chicago movie. So my personal favorite is Ferris Bueller's Day Off because that's an homage to the city. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah. What do you enjoy doing in your spare time? I also play music. So in my spare time, I'm often playing guitar in a couple bands. Oh, very good. At the brewery? Uh, Sometimes at the brewery. Excellent. Any other instruments you play? Uh, I play guitar, I play bass, and then I play a lot of other instruments pretty poorly. So I can plunk some notes on a piano. I can, I think I can play drums and then I failed at trumpet saxophone. I can play a little bit of banjo and ukulele and mandolin, but none of those. Well, and the last question is what advice would you give to, uh, I'll give you two choices, a new leader or an entrepreneur. Um, I think for either I'll I'll answer both questions. Um, to a, a new leader, I think the most important thing is not to have an ego. Like you are not more important than anyone else in your organization and you don't have more information or it doesn't, that's not necessarily true. You just happen to be the one who's in charge of making decisions oftentimes. So your job is really to listen and then determine what the, the best course is. 
So, you know, show, show respect to everyone's, everyone's opinions. Um, what I tell anyone who asks me about starting a business is don't do it alone, which means you don't have to have a business partner, but you should have someone who you can talk to, who you trust both to keep you committed and to check you when you, when you have wrong opinions or, um, and the other thing is to go slow. So it took us years before we even came close to opening the brewery. And I think the fact that we were able to get it up and running, knock on wood successfully, is based on the fact that we took a year or two to write a business plan. Um, so go slow and have someone in your corner while you're doing it. Excellent advice. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much for being on our podcast, Clear Your Messages. And we look forward to talking with a new guest in a couple of weeks. And we will see you all soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 